The Astros split a series in New York. JV has a solid debut, but the bullpen is leaking worse than my old Ford Ranger. And speaking of Rangers, Texas is taking care of business, pushes their division lead back to two and a half. We'll talk about it next. Episode 35 of Stone Cold Strohs starts right Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange, joined by senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. Follow him on Twitter at Palillo. Read his weekly column on sportsmat.com. Next to him is that guy, Josh Jordan. You know him. He's the editor of sportsmat.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshjordan975. And when you're not watching or listening to SportsMap content, be sure to listen to our sister platform, ESPN 97.5, 92.5 on your radio dial. Charlie, it's episode 35. We kind of teased a little bit in our bonus episode maybe some JV influences. Seems a little on the nose for you. So what do we got for episode 35 and player number 35? Well, Justin Verlander is the obvious, but everyone knows all about Justin Verlander. So I'll mention the second greatest number 35 ever to pitch for the Astros, a guy named Mike Cuellar, a lefty who threw one of the great screwballs ever and was one of the great Astros screw-ups ever, trading him to the Orioles. Not quite Joe Morgan-level bad as trades go. But the Astros trade Cuellar to the Orioles. He immediately wins the Cy Young Award, wins 20-plus games each of his first three seasons, part of the Orioles rotation, four 20-game winners in 1971. One of the absolute oops deals in Astros history, trading Mike Cuellar ostensibly for an over-the-hill outfielder named Kurt Bleffery, who played one nondescript season here, and a minor leaguer who never pitched for the Astros. Well, let me give a special shout out to number 35, Josh Fields, who was traded for Jordan Alvarez seven years ago this month. Appreciate you, Josh. You went down a hero. Topic one, let's get right into it. It's weird saying that there's an offensive struggle happening coming off of a series finale, which the Astros scored nine. But like we were talking about in the pre-show, it just seemed like the Astros were running into a team that's worse off than they are. The roster's thin right now. We just saw Corey Jolks was just optioned to AAA right before we hit record on this. I just want to ask you guys, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking of like, is this a matter of the roster just being thin? Is it just they don't have enough options? You don't feel comfortable pinch hitting for Maldi in a close game in the eighth inning? Or how much is this is penciling in a guy named Jordan Alvarez in the five hole to where he only gets three at-bats in a game? All right, a lot to unwrap here. Uh, Dusty does some stuff that's just plain dumb. And the whole Diaz-Maldonado thing, Alvarez presumably will no longer camp out in the five hole. But in the end, it's about player performance. Right? A manager can only submarine his team tactically so much. And over the weekend against the Yankees, the Astros had two really good games, scoring seven and nine runs, and two really puny games in terms of offensive output, and they split the four games in the series. Well, the Astros lineup basically is functionally bipolar. Alex Bregman's esteeming mediocrity, now he would have aspired to that in the Bronx, 0 for 15 for the series, 4 for his last 35 going back 10 games. That's a 114 batting average. Bregman is closer to mediocre than great, and that's been the story now for four years. He's 29 years old. You know, you have a hot month. Well, Jose Abreu had a hot month. It's about the body of your work. So the Astros lineup, if Bregman is the midpoint, he's okay. You have four really good guys. Altuve, Tucker, Alvarez, 
Chaz McCormick. And then you have four guys who blow chunks. I mean, Jake Myers, the game of his life Sunday, but overall, he's not good. Uh, Jeremy Pena, a crashing disappointment as a sophomore. He was overhyped in terms of what expectations were for many off the amazing postseason, but that was a hot three weeks, much more of a fluke than his two seasons as an everyday major leaguer, where he's not a good offensive player, and the defense has been a little spotty too. Then there's the aforementioned Abreu, who's back to being near the bottom of the trash barrel in terms of overall quality. And then there's Martin Maldonado, merely one of the worst offensive regulars in the history of Major League Baseball. So if you have four really good guys, four really bad guys, and one average guy, you run that through the whole data bank, and shouldn't you have a pretty average offense? And that is what the Astros are overall. There are a number of really, really, really bad teams. So the Astros weren't going to stay, what, 24th in OPS, 22nd in runs scored, wherever they were earlier this season. But the Astros are the middle of the pack offense. Once you get in the playoffs, it's about who's hot in a limited stretch, a la Pena last year. But the Astros no longer have a premium offense. That's just the lay of their land now. Now, Charlie hit on it. Average is right. OPS and slugging, they're 15th in both categories. So right on the money. And, you know, we talk about Abreu and Bregman. I know Pena's getting killed recently, but I said this before the show started. As, as bad as Pena's been, he's got five hits in his last seven games. Bregman and Abreu together have four. That's how bad those guys have been over the last week. Abreu's turned back into one of the worst hitters in baseball that there's no way around it. It's just been awful. He's eighth worst in OPS, ninth worst in slugging. You know, at some point, I think we have to say sometimes a slump or, or, or a skid eventually becomes a down season. It is August 7th, and, and he is still top 10, one of the worst hitters in baseball. I, I think we just have to hope that maybe he can get it together like Yuli did in the postseason and, and he can make an impact for you there. But for right now, it's a lost season. I'm not going to say that he'll never get it back, but some guys, sometimes guys have down years, and clearly that's what's going on for Abreu. Look, John Singleton is a human straw they're grasping at, right? Jolks, his last hit feels like it was Easter weekend, but 0 for 36, 3 for 55. You get him out of the major leagues, but you don't have a worthwhile prospect to call up. Uh, Bly Madris had his audition. Uh, so John Singleton, who's crushed it at Sugarland as he crushed it at AAA for Milwaukee, as he always crushed it in the minor leagues, he's just never shown an ability to hit a lick at the major league level. But if you're going to replace Abreu for a game or two, it's not like he can get really any worse. So they'll hope to run into a little something with Singleton, but expecting him, him to come up and be a quality producer, uh, that's spitting into the wind and tugging on Superman's cape and grasping at straw. Talking about Pena, two of those five hits were soft infield singles that where he just happened to reach. And Charlie, if Singleton is a straw, then Michael Brantley is a fantasy from a fever dream. And so I wonder if this isn't, you know, an, more of an indictment on Dusty because he can't control like who is performing and how they perform, but he can control the lineup. This is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because we have said for a while, Jeremy Pena should be in the two hole. They put him in the two hole. It's not really helping. Again, they're going to keep moving him around, but 
isn't that part of it is your, your manager putting you in the best uh, situation possible, given what few pieces he has? Is it more glaring that Dusty's penciling in these lineups so questionably? Or are we just all overreacting because we've seen the Astros perform miracles in weird situations and kind of overcome some of these awkward uh, lineups? And we're just expecting Pena to become prime Pena from the postseason or Jordan to become the three-run walk-off guy. Is it just we're expecting too much out of these guys with too few resources? Some of that, yes. Uh, There's a little bit of short-term nostalgia, most specifically with Pena. He doesn't belong in the two spot. I mean, qualitatively, for over two months, where he belongs is Sugarland. I mean, his OPS for the season is in the 660s. His on-base percentage is sub 300, so that they went, you know, a million wins and nine losses last year with him in a two-hole, and 11-2 and two in the postseason. That was then, this is now, and that he had a couple of decent games with a couple of scratch hits and did come up with an extra base hit for the first time in over a month, right? These are just morsels, not meals. I mean, Bregman, for as lame, frankly, as he's been, um, he does take walks. So, you know, the on-base percentage is still credible. Uh, It was their 111th game of the season on Friday night, and I thought it was the first time, given what he had, that Dusty Baker actually filled out just about their optimal lineup, where you had Altuve, Bregman on base guys, Alvarez back in the three spot, Tucker four, he hit Yiner five, Abreu six, Chaz seven. Now Chaz should probably be five, Abreu push him down further, and then you had uh, Pena and Myers at the bottom. That was a reasonable construct. But when half the guys in your order just are bad, there's only so much straw you can spin into gold. That's a lot of straw references. Too many of these guys are hitting like mild straw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the deal with Pena for me is what are the other options? I think you just have to just grin and bear it. Dubon is worse than him right now. Dubon has a worse OPS. He's worse than slugging. So I think you just have you have to deal with it. You hope Pena pulls out of it. I'm just the guys that you can make a difference with. Other guys that you can start more regularly. I'd like to see more concern about that with Abreu. We've tarped on this all season long. Why does he have to play so much? He's an older player. Get him some rest. And then when you get him some rest with Verlander on the hill, you put Gray Kessinger at first base. So then you have Kessinger and Maldi and Dubon all in the lineup together. What chance did they have to score any runs? So and I get it. He didn't want to play Yiner against lefties and, and all that kind of stuff. But some, the sample size isn't big enough. Sometimes you just got to play him if he's your best option. Uh, bullseye on that latter point from Josh there for Dusty to die on the hill of, well, you know, I check the stats, too. Maybe better than you guys. Yiner's hitting 170 against lefties. 61 plate appearances. You know, early in the season when a really good hitter struggles through 50, 75 at-bats. Oh, you know, until you get to 125, 150 at-bats, don't read anything into anything. So Dusty's going to keep kicking Yiner in the head over 61. Yes, the numbers suck against left-handed pitching. Well, what about the more than 3,500 Martin Maldonado plate appearances that have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt he's one of the worst offensive regulars in the history of Major League Baseball? This season, against right-handed pitching, more than 200 plate appearances, Maldonado's OPS is below 500. Not just below 600, below 500. So to give Dusty the weakest benefit of the doubt on this, Yiner should be catching every game against right-handed pitching. And if you're going to play Molly, because, well, Yiner can't hit lefties, 61 plate appearances. I've drawn my definitive conclusion. 
Well, then it should be a platoon spot where the vastly better player is going the majority of the time. And I've about had it, you know, and Fromber's no hitter. It fed the, the fanboys and the dim bulbs that, oh, Martin Maldonado, Fromber Valdez. Um, well, you know, where was Menza Maldi catching Yoda Sunday when the Astros were walking 12 guys? Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig are dead, mixing a strike once in a while. Where was, where was Genius Maldi to settle things down and have Phil Maton rediscover at least a semblance of reaching into the strike zone with a pitch? Um, the ERA is lower when Yiner catches, throwing out opposing base dealers. You have a much better shot when Yiner is making the throw. The past ball numbers, it's absolutely preposterous that Maldonado continues to catch 70% of the games. And we are at the point, it is straight up myth that Maldi's defense and savvy behind the plate is just indispensable. Just the catching side of things before we even throw in the potency of Yiner's bat. 61 plate appearances. You're not going to start him against any lefties. That's just flat, stupid, dusty. Sorry. All right, guys. So we go from hitter struggles to bullpen struggles, or at least their usage. We thought the bullpen was getting some help with the addition of Kendall Graveman. His appearances have been a little bumpy, but he looks like prime Billy Wagner compared to what Maton's been struggling through these past several appearances. Uh, Stanek, Maton just look unusable right now. Montero, maybe he's coming out of it. You feel a little bit better about him, kind of. How does Dusty navigate through so many options that are just not good right now? Yeah, this one is a challenge where I largely give Dusty a pass. Um, you know, you can't go to Presley and Abreu every day. Uh, you know, the bullpen was so brilliant pretty much all of last season and historically so in the postseason. And the first half of this year whether the law of averages was bound to catch up some, you know, they're human beings. They cut and bleed like the rest of us. I mean, Maton was carrying a sub one ERA for a while. Neris was barely over one. Um, you know, they got some good work last year out of Seth Martinez. Well, he returned to earth this year. So their bullpen now, it's still overall pretty good, but it's just another pretty good bullpen. And when you're not great, you're going to have stretches where you're lousy. And when you're using six, seven different guys because of the way bullpens are formed and used these days, you know, it's tough to have them all throwing well or to have all but one guy throwing well in a, in a given stretch. And when you don't have starting pitchers routinely going six-plus innings, right, hopefully Verlander joins Fromber Valdez and giving the Astros a little bit more of that. Uh, but, Dusty, it's you know going back to you can push buttons that seem sensible at the time, but you're just going to have some malfunctions with them. Yeah, you know, that was a tough one there with, you know, when Urquidy was struggling to find the plate in the finale. And then you go to Maton, who, who's really been struggling to throw strikes, too. And you get in that situation where, thank goodness, J.P. France bailed you out. You know, at least that's the one thing about him. The guy throws strikes. He's not afraid to try and paint the outside corner at the knees with the fastball, which it should seem like the most simplest thing in the world when, when you're in trouble, try and get a tough pitch. That's that Greg Maddox thing, right? You don't try and throw harder in tough situations. You can try and locate better. And I think these guys kind of get stuck up in their breaking stuff and they, they throw it maybe a little too much, trust it a little too much. And uh, I'm concerned. I, I think Kendall Graveman's going to be fine. It's not like he's getting slapped all, all around. He's going to get used to joining the team. I think he's a guy you can trust. Abreu, I still trust him. It's kind of the guys I, I feel good about and the guys I don't. You know, Presley, Abreu, I'm okay with them. And then you start 
starts getting a little more dicey as you go down, but I don't know if there's any way to fix it. I mean, they're second in team ERA right now overall as a staff, so it's still there. But it's still the hitting I'm more concerned about than the pitching. I think they'll be okay. It's just you hit on it. You know, Stanek used to be somebody you could really count on last season, and now he's just kind of an afterthought. Montero, too. It's You just kind of throw your hands up in the air and hope for the best with a lot of these guys. There is a you know step back a little bit, the bigger picture. Uh, the Yankees just have a lot better bullpen than the Astros yeah, because yeah. the Yankees have a lot better bullpen than everyone else. They're at 307 starting the week. No one else is below 350. Well, who wants to swap spots overall with the Yankees? I mean, that Sunday finale was a terrible loss for them. They win. They're within three and a half of the Astros. They lead the season series 3-1. Instead, they're shoved five and a half back. Right? The Red Sox had a horrifically catastrophic weekend for them, getting swept at Fenway by Toronto. So the Astros are still solidly nestled in playoff position. Uh, the warning flare I would put up, right? The Rays are three and a half ahead of the Astros. The Jays a game behind the Astros. The Astros are as close to the Mariners as they are to the Rays. And Seattle has it going now and has the best looking overall depth of starting rotation maybe of any of these wild card hopefuls in the American League. The Mariners have beaten the Astros five out of seven games. You know, if you get into a playoff tiebreaker situation with them. So it's not like the Astros are out of the woods, uh, but they're a much better bet than not to make the playoffs right now. Uh, the Rangers are the favorite in the American League West, right? The Verlander deal equalized it after the Rangers moves, but the Rangers are good. You know, they've scored more than 100 more runs than the Astros, and the Rangers starting pitchers actually have a tick better ERA than the Astros this season. Right? The Astros' big edge has been in the, in the bullpen, and the Rangers are hoping chap and there are other additions uh, level that off for them. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a race. The Astros still have this series and then uh, another with the Orioles. You know, the Astros against the teams that right now would be in the playoffs in the American League, they're 14 and 15. They have an overall losing record this season against teams with winning records. You take out 9-1 and one against the A's, 7-3 and three against the Angels, against everyone else, the Astros are 48 and 45 or 49 and 45. So they're just another pretty good team right now. Well, pretty good teams go on to win the World Series often in the postseason tournament format. Uh, of course, win the division. That's oops, number two, by the way. Uh, and uh, avoid that two out of three series. But if not, the Phillies got to the World Series that way last year. There have been wild cards who've won the World Series. So the Astros are just living life now how – most playoff teams do. You're scrapping to get in, and then once you get in, you hope to make hay. Well, not only has Maton struggled to throw strikes, he's struggling to not hit batters right now. And we talk about the you know the regression of Stanek uh, and Montero. Although in hindsight, those were kind of outlier years for them as far as performance. Did their postseason success kind of combined with the lack of having an active GM, did that kind of ease the urgency in being able to kind of fortify this roster in a way that would have set them up better for success this season? But I mean, that's that's human nature, right? You, you go through the the playoffs and you only drop a couple games and, you know, everything's great. and You don't expect people to fall off. Now, we know relief pitchers in general are very inconsistent. One good year to one bad year. That stuff happens all the time. But look, the Montero contract's a different deal. But to come out and think he's just somebody you wouldn't be able to use this year and and for Stanek to take a step back. Maton, we weren't really sure what we were going to get. So 
that's hard to kind of weigh in on him. But, you know, Abreu hasn't been as lights out as he was last year either. A lot of that's the, the league catching up to you also. You know, the, people saw what the Astros did and they studied up on him and they have some ideas. Presley hadn't been quite what he was last year, but he's been good enough. But to me, it's more the bats, guys. That, that That's where the, they're just not hitting at that level where, you know, in the top 10, they're, they're just – kind of floating around the middle of the league and, and that's where they need to get it going. That's where I'm, I'm hoping the single thing, singleton thing happens. I hope he can provide a little bit of thump, but it's hard to count on a guy that's it's never really proven it at the big league level. Sometimes you're just damned if you do damned if you don't, right? They kept the band together with the bullpen, which was Uber dominant last year, the greatest postseason in the history of all bullpens. So which plug were you supposed to pull? Who are you supposed to move out? Right? What upgrade were you supposed to seek unless you were adamant, hey, go get a, a left-hander? Right? And they did that last year with Will Smith, and he was the weak link who disappeared from the playoff roster and so forth. So year to year, there's just going to be variability, whether it's regression to the mean career years versus a more typical year. The Astros start the week still on pace to win 91 games. It's just when you're accustomed to them winning 101, 103, 107, 106, it can feel to many people like, well, they're not even any good. Yeah, they are good, but they're no longer great. And they're just in the same battle that a bunch of other teams are now. Well, let, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, with that being the case, they need help in the bullpen, right? If France could stay out there and keep pitching like he's pitching, th that would help the team. Absolutely, right? But we're hearing they might still be doing the six-man rotation. They have 22 games in the next 23 days. What do we think? Do you like France staying in the rotation, or should he be a guy that, that can help you out in the bullpen? I think it should be a very short leash for Urquidy, right? You're in tough races now. You're trailing in the division two and a half games. I mentioned you're only three and a half games ahead of missing the playoffs entirely, just as you're three and a half games away from the number one wildcard spot. Um, you know, I, I, you can't go with Urquidy that, hey, you get a month of in-season spring training. Like Verlander's first month with the Mets – after he got hurt at the end of spring training, and then he was trying to catch up in games that count, part of the Mets' awful start that left them dead and buried. All right, Verlander got settled in and has been fantastic over his last 10 starts now. But the first seven, his ERA was 4.85. I don't think the Astros have that kind of runway to just let Urquidy build up and work back in. I mean, France been their best starting pitcher over the last six weeks once Fromber leveled off with the injury things. So for one start ahead of an off day, piggybacking him with Urquidy, fine. But why would you not want France in their rotation? Uh, I included at the tail end of the, uh, the column last week, you know, if you're in the wild card, if you're the Astros, you're playing that best of three, and the first two games, whichever order, Verlander, Fromber, Fromber, Verlander, game three, do or die, who do you want starting? Is not the answer JP France? So I don't want to relegate him to the bullpen where he's a long man if Hunter Brown gets knocked out in the fourth inning or on more than one start bases, um, Urquidy goes short. Uh, or, you know, Verlander has an off day and throws 101 pitches in five innings and you, you need to pull him early. France has been so good and so consistent. You know, I'm sure the Astros aren't telling him we're demoting you to the bullpen, but functionally, every fifth game, starters are giving you six, seven good innings, much more valuable than a guy who's on call in the bullpen. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And that's going to do it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you to the people who have. We have a lot of five-star ratings. We do appreciate all your support. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. 
you don't have to wait that long. All you got to do is just subscribe to Sports Map Houston on YouTube, and you're going to see Josh again and John Granado, Lance Zerline. They're going to have you covered for the other Houston sports during the week. And remember, it's ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM on the radio dial in Houston. Thanks to Jack Brame for producing the show. And thanks to everyone again for listening. And until next time, go Strohs.